Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yep. How you doing? I'm I'm doing really doing really well. I'm really uh I've been I've been taking I was telling you off mic I've been taking public transit around the city yeah which is a good way to get exercise in Los Angeles because it's not as it's not as many direct routes as you are have in a in a, in a Chicago like where mm-hmm. we used to live um, but uh, it does leave me feeling sort of refreshed and like part of the city and like it's sort of a vibrant David vibrant I can tell feeling. you're full of vim vigor and vitality that's exactly what I'm full of <laughs> you know how I'm gonna get some exercise. I'll t- this is not. I know you're gonna. You think I'm probably gonna lead into the guest. I'm not. Quite the opposite, in fact. <laughs> someone that isn't here. Uh, I've been invited to be part of like a kickball team by Paul Goebel, and I think I'm gonna do it. Isn't that awesome. isn't that stupid? Awesome. In two days, uh, it will have already happened by the time this episode goes up. I'm doing like a fun run, like a walk. For I'm sorry, charity. I, I, you had me at fun. You lost me at run. <laughs> but, uh, I sent you an email about it and uh, oh, yeah. asking for donations. That's right. And I yes, sign me up for uh, five bucks. <laughs> okay, I think so. ten might be the minimum. Uh, but you mentioned uh, so yeah, we're all we're it's not all really in, charity uh, if it's required. We're turning over a new leaf. We're here at Battleship Retention in terms of exercise. Oh we, yeah, we're, right. we're both getting more exercise. We're starting our New Year's resolutions uh, a month and a half early or so. It's going to be great. Uh, you, you can you can follow our progress right here every week at Battleship Retention. Oh, that sounds awful. <laughs> well, there, there will be a way in before each episode. <laughs> uh, no progress, everybody. Okay, now what are we talking about? What? Because I've been seeing a lot of movies. <laughs> but uh, the other reason I'm excited and in a good mood is because we have a guest today, and our guest has. He's got his. He's got a pen. He's got papers laid out in front of him. He is graph paper, no less. Yeah, he's clearly taking this seriously, and that gets me uh, really excited for the conversation to come. Oh, it puts me on edge. So I. Oh, uh, I, it's, see, I see that, and I think, oh, I'm not going to have to do a lot of work this episode. He's <laughs> uh, you will. <laughs> uh, so let's uh, quit. Let, we've been teasing it long enough. Uh, uh, our guest is a uh, local stand-up comedian. He's very funny, and his name is Robert Buscemi. And did I pronounce that correctly? You did. Oh, good. Because I know there's, of course, the actor Steve Buscemi, who some people say Buscemi, uh, Buscemi, Buscemi. I, I don't know. How I he locked says into. It. I think it's. I locked into Buscemi, and I've heard people that have like worked with him say Buscemi. I'm like, I'm not doing that. No, don't do that. I remember. Re- I, I want to say just not that long ago. I don't know. Maybe ten years ago. It, you know, time flies as you get older. Uh, I remember reading an article about him where he said that he doesn't really care. Hey, good for him. <laughs> I pronounce it. Uh, so I, I, I think it's sort of like a past guest of the show, Stephen Tobolowski. Yeah. Uh, you know, some people say Tobolowski or Tobolowski, or to, and he said people within his family pronounce it differently, so he doesn't care. There you go. So, yeah. But you, Robert Buscemi, you are a Buscemi. Yes, I am. I am. That's what I am. Any relation? No. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 sometimes I wonder if I should start lying, but no. <laughs> oh, you mean you've been asked that before? <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I'm tempted to start lying, but people talk about him, and he's got a brother, and I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he's got so much talent that it's, it's you don't uh, mind. It's not like my last name is... I used to say Swayze, <laughs> but I can't say that anymore because he's right. an icon and he's dead, right? Right, right. So, it's not as fun to make fun of Patrick Swayze as it could right. be. He turned yeah, out to be a very true. nice guy and whatever. 
but that was the name that I used to use. So, At least my last name isn't, and then I would get a fixate on a very popular name with only one actor attached to it, and I always went with Swayze, because he seemed now? to me as less talented, but I'm looking for a replacement. Diesel? That's good! <laughs> That's perfect! That's far better. Uh-oh. All right, That's Levelator, do better. your job. <laughs> that Diesel. Right. At least That's my pretty... last name isn't Diesel. That's not bad. That's it's not bad at all. It's perfect. Who else could it be? Swayze was fu- I will say the thing I liked about Swayze is the name Swayze. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's just on the – just verbally it's a funny name. But Diesel is is a cheesier, goofier actor and an, and an also very dorky, you know, pho- phonetic last name. And no one's going to remember the classic comedian Bob Diesel. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, there was speaking of yeah, Swayze is a great name. There was a, I don't know if there still is an improv troupe here in Los Angeles. Troupe, it's pronounced troupe. That was called Hey Swayze, and I never saw them, but I would see like the name on flyers and be like, I like that. It, it just seems <laughs> fun to say. But I, they can't still be called that, right? I mean, no, that's it's it wouldn't be like you said, it wouldn't be funny anymore. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just just uh, to say the name is not necessarily. It's like there was some there was some comedian who did an impression of of Jack Jack Kennedy. A perfect impression of John Von F. Kennedy. Meter. You knew that? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. I am talking to like, uh, people with serious uh, pop culture memories. Um, but yeah. And then John F. Kennedy died, and it was like this guy was a walking symbol of death. Yeah. As the, the, story, <laughs> right? the, the story goes, I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but Lenny Bruce's first show after the assassination, everyone was sort of... What's, he, what's Lenny Bruce going to say about it? He comes out on stage, he's silent for a few seconds, and he goes, well, I'll tell you one thing, Von Meter is fucked. That's the first, <laughs> he uh, did not. That's, I don't know if it... That, that's, that's a, a perfect the story joke. Goes, so that's Lenny Bruce's, the first thing he said after... It's a perfect joke. ...on stage after <laughs> Kennedy's assassination. That's, well, that's why I know the name Von Meter. It's funny, because that's rebellious and like... Uh edgy but it's not inflammatorily uh-huh. uh you know whatever unpatriotic <laughs> and, right you know it's not ugly but yeah. it's a little ugly it's not ugly ugly but yeah that's very good so let's let's get into into you as a as a stand-up and a, and a member of the human race uh uh-huh. uh where are you from and what got you what drew you to comedy and how long you've been doing it all the all the sort of I grew, stuff. I grew up in Ohio till I was 21 or whatever, and I went to Miami of Ohio, and yeah. um, and I always wanted to do – well, actually, I wanted to do stand-up as early as high school. Really? It was just a cut-up in high school, just a loud – just a real smart-ass, the big, big mouth. And um always wanted to do theater, did ton – and then and – then, I went to graduate school for a little while to study English literature, maybe be a professor, but uh, I always wanted to do theater. I actually went to England sophomore year, of, or junior year rather, one semester in undergrad and saw a ton of theater because one of my classes of theaters I was in theater. It was kind of contemporary theater, so we'd go around and see all these plays. And I saw Ian McKellen and Bent that play, <laughs> and I thought I got to get into some theater when I get back to school. So I went back in senior year in college. I didn't major in it, but I got into a couple of plays there, mm-hmm. and I didn't really stick with it. I went off to graduate school about four years, and then I said, you know, I got to get back into performing and theater. So I went and just got in. Many, many plays. Before I even left graduate school, I started doing plays. In graduate school. No, this is in Bloomington, Indiana. Mm -hmm. 
IU. I have a master's degree, so you can call me master. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, did a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of theater there. This must have been, I won't even tell you how many years ago, but some years ago. English literature. Okay. Uh, Did theater, 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 plays, 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 moved from Bloomington to Chicago, Mm -hmm. where my wife and I lived for about nine years, Mm -hmm. and did a ton of theater there then started some improv and then finally started stand-up and then once i started stand-up that's all i've been doing since 2003 maybe or 2002 so what uh, what years what nine years were you in chicago until two and a half years ago okay wow so yeah tyler and i moved to chicago from missouri together in late 2001 september 2001 i don't know why i remember that um and then i i came out here in well because it was 9 11 (laughs) well that's when i started stand-up so you guys moved to chicago right when i was starting stand-up yeah and then i moved out here in 2005 and tyler uh followed suit about a year and a half later Mm. 2007 um but we've had uh i guess um Kyle Kinane's been on the show, and, and really, and yeah, and, and some other um, uh, Matt Bess or other people who have worked in in Chicago, and it seems like uh, you talk about starting an improv and moving to stand up. It Chica- Chicago is an improv. It town, is Chicago right? is an improv and sketch town. And, and I, if you love me, uh, I think Kyle Kinane, the way he characterized it is that the the stand up scene is in Chicago is almost defined by its opposition to the that's right to the improv and that's right scene. that's right you know this is crazy i didn't realize kyle had been on the show okay so i started stand-up in about yeah 2002 it was an amazing confluence of people right at that time i, I mean astound breathtaking 10 no fewer than like 10 people who did the same open mic every single monday are now just at the head of the pack. I mean, uh-huh. it's amazing. Kyle Kinane, Matt Bronger, Hannibal Buress, Kumail Nanjiani, hmm. Pete Holmes, wow. um, Nate Bergazzi, Tommy Jonigan. Okay. They're not quite as prominent yet, I but they've done Jonathan. freaking Conan, both of them, or, or, you know, one of the big shows, anyhow. Am I leaving anybody out? Nick Vatterot's coming right along. Mm-hmm. He just won the Andy Kaufman thing, and he's done Ferguson, maybe. John Roy. Yeah, John Roy, he's yeah. great. But when I started, was uh Tony Sam? Is Tony he? Sam, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I fun. saw I saw Tony start. You know, I was there, and Tony came along, and it's crazy. I've known Tony for I don't know seven years, maybe. He started maybe a year and a half after I did, but uh, it was this amazing gelling of people and improv and sketch were kind of respected and recognized because they had their institutions, Second yeah. City and mm-hmm. um, IO and all that. And then stand-up was a very kind of runty and ugly. You know, like I said, the alternative scene mm-hmm. was just this open mic every every week and then other shows kind of spun off of that. But at the top of the pack, when I started, Matt Bronger and Kyle Kinane and John Roy were already very, very, very much established mm-hmm. and kind of some of the very strongest in Chicago. And then they moved out to L.A., I don't know, three years after I started or something. And, mm-hmm. you know, and now they're, they're, they're just they're, – they're heading the pack now. It's, it's kind of unfortunate as somebody who I've, – I've lived in Chicago and I, and I loved Chicago. And I, I love Los Angeles as well. But um, it's kind of unfortunate. You hear so many people 
started in Chicago in some capacity, whether they might have, you know, maybe they were raised there and then that's where they chose to do comedy or theater or whatever, or they, you know, migrated there and that's where they really kind of kicked their career into gear. And then eventually almost all of them leave. And I understand like Los Angeles or New York, like those are bigger places where you can do more. And just seems, it seems a shame to me that Chicago is not, it's almost always the jumping off point for something else. I, and it's been that way for like 30, mm-hmm. 40 years. I remember I read a book about uh, Second City and it was always kind of that. Like that in itself was exciting, but it was always on your way to Saturday yeah. Night Live or something like that. And it just seems a shame that it, it isn't like – it's one of the big three cities. It's a shame yeah. that it isn't more just, of a final destination. It just doesn't kind of have cameras. It just doesn't yeah. have film and television. It's that simple. It just never really has. Yeah. And that's where the money is and that's that. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. I mean, it's, like you said, it's the biggest, uh, <clears> the <throat> third biggest city in the country. But I remember there was a guy, and maybe you'll know who this guy is, who would do the promos for the local uh, the local station. He'd be like, uh, uh, I'm trying to think what some of them. His name is Jim Zuvelik or Zulevic or something like that. I know that name. Maybe. Turn off the Simpsons. Mmm, lame. That's right. right. That's, That's what him? he would say. Yeah, and yeah, the, he was part of Second City for a while. And that, but that guy was like a local celebrity, which is yeah. It seems we, it, it's unfortunate that Chicago you don't see more like, uh, you know, big, uh, bigger name people live there. But it does it does kind of have the small town feel in in that yeah. like the, one of the biggest celebrities you can see if you go have a drink at the Green Mile. That's where I saw that guy is. Uh, the guy who does the promos for the local station. Nothing against him. I always mm-hmm. liked those promos. Oh, no, absolutely. And he passed away, actually, of a heart oh, attack. Oh, he did? Yeah. It was unfortunate. I'm glad I didn't say anything against him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, you're going to have to change that bit that you don't do. Um, but, uh, okay, so you came out to Los Angeles uh, two and a half years ago, you yeah, said? Yeah, two and a half years ago. All right. To do uh, stand-up and uh-huh. pursue, the, pursue the dream. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> how's that going i was gonna say how's that going it's good i just hustle and hustle and hustle and hustle and hustle that's all i know how to do man just mm-hmm. perform all i can just and the thing is i have a, i don't know if you know my act at all but i have a very I, unusual well like, i was gonna say that it's nice to hear you be i mean talk about hustling and working and stuff because there's uh a, a, in your act you're kind of more of a character who's not so humble yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not humble at all. My character's very no, no, my character's not humble. Um, I the first time I saw you was probably I don't know 2007 at uh, See You Next Tuesday, the Dear Departed show, uh, UCB Tuesday nights. Oh, wow, yeah. And I remember I I didn't know who you were at all that at that time. And one of the first things you said was, uh, "I I don't know how many of you read my blog," but and I thought that was (laughs) hilarious. Yeah, no, no, no. My character is very vain and uh, vain glorious. I just, I just love him, but I wish I were more like him. Uh, but yeah, no, I, 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 uh, I just hustle, and I have a very unusual act and character, and you know, it's just you, you have to go with it, and people have to kind of get on board and get used to it. So I have a lot of like advance work to do. <laughs> once people key in, they're keyed in, mm-hmm. and once. You know, it's a it's a synergy. They have to. I can't believe I just used that word, but it's the right word. People have to key into what I'm doing, and I have to get comfortable what I'm doing, what I'm doing, mm-hmm. because right. I'm not I'm not so blindly confident that I can I can fake it on stage somewhat. Mm-hmm. But you know, getting on you want to feel good getting on your way to getting on stage when you get off stage about doing this weird 
version of comedy that you do, you have to get people used to what you're doing. And in doing that, you can get more comfortable. I can't just be way comfortable. I've never been that kind of performer, frankly. I like to be listened to and I can tell when I'm listened to and when I'm not. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's a balancing act where I'm playing a character, but I'm in the character and I can hear Uh very, very intently whether people are digging it or not and i'm just happier when they're digging it and so i have to do it a hell of a lot so people can kind of understand the groundwork and then they'll kind of let me go where i want to go i mean i'm it's i don't know why i'm pursuing stand up this way but i just am (laughs) i just am it's just a strange project for me do you feel that you have to since you have this uh character who is like you said not uh, uh is vain you know do you have to, I guess, be comfortable with the idea that maybe a percentage of the audience isn't going to I've it? I've been forced to become comfortable <laughs> with that reality, yes. A portion <laughs> of the audience doesn't get it. That's right. But, you know, you're, you're a little bit – you're a little bit – I mean, what you do with that little bit of spite that, that happens for people who aren't smart or generous enough to, to cop onto your character. You develop a little bit of sadism toward them. You, uh-huh. do, you develop a little bit of masochism where the less they dig it, the, the more you're kind of fueled. You develop a, a resolve that you're going to break down as many of those people and make as many people around them laugh to make them feel stupid that they don't get it. It's a sick, sick mind, you know, that you develop playing these games with audiences. And I don't know why I feel like I have to play games with audiences, but that's what amuses me. It's just the, <laughs> I just have a slightly sick sense of humor in that way, I guess. It's not ugly exactly, but it can be a little macabre, right. I suppose. And a uh, f- uh, friend of the show, uh, Jimmy Pardo, who, of course, hosts the very funny Never Not Funny. Um, I shouldn't have said that. But anyway... Um, it is funny, don't get me wrong, but I feel like I shouldn't say funny when saying never not funny. That's neither here nor there. Anyway, um, you know, he does on stage, he's got his character, his just Oh, yes. Yeah. And I remember, and I, you know, I love it. I think it's hilarious. I, I think he's, he's brilliant. But it's when I first saw him, which was a while ago on, on Comedy Central, I think he was doing like a premium blend or something like that. And I was, and I couldn't figure this guy out. It really was yeah. like, it was like the first time I saw, the cartoon of the tick where i was just like this looks like a superhero show but there's weird jokes in it i don't get it <laughs> and when i saw him i was just like this guy's like a jerk he can't really think this about himself right <laughs> right and then i was like i think this whole thing is a joke yeah okay i'm getting there yeah. and eventually i got to, you know i'm a huge fan of his and but i i have to assume that Lots of people were thinking what I was thinking in that moment, and he, as a performer, had to know that. And so it sounds like you're yeah. kind of in that that time when it's like you're committed to this, you know what? And someone, not everyone's going to get it. I, I just, I just, I adore Jimmy Parra. I think he's, I, th- I just think he's the funniest person. I, I don't know that he would know me by name, but I do n- think that he would know me by face because I've mm-hmm. said hello to him w- when I've crossed paths with him several times, but. I just love Daffy Duck. I love Daffy Duck. Mm-hmm. I love somebody who's deeply aggrieved, but you can't really, really be aggrieved. But you kind of are really aggrieved. It's this. It's this infinitely. You know, if you made a, a, a diagram of it, it would be you know the the line that never approaches full. Uh, mm-hmm. Whatever my mathematical concept. But uh, Jimmy, I mean, Parker, we got graph paper right there. Yeah, we can thank you. I could do it on my graph paper, but. Uh, 
Jimmy Pardo is absolutely the master of that. I would say he's like it's like Daffy Duck. He's just it's so fun to see people pissed off and they have to be pissed off, but they can't really be pissed off because if you're really pissed off, that's a different kind of comedy entirely. Mm -hmm. Because if you're really pissed off or politically pissed off, then it's just nothing like what Jimmy Pardo is doing. It's just not the same kind of. Don Rickles, old school. Yeah. And I kind of do a version of that, a f- version of, you know, Daffy Duck, a version of aggrieved and uh, self-involved and, you know, complaining and whiny and self-adoring, <laughs> which it amuses me. Dave Chappelle said his favorite, his uh, comedy hero was Daffy Duck. Oh. Hmm. I swear I heard him say that in some interview. Well, speaking of your graph paper, mm-hmm. what, you were you were talking beforehand about how uh, your this will finally get us into movies. There's a certain segment of our listenership that uh, just wants us to talk about movies. So I uh, I feel like I, I I'm of two minds. I want to be like, okay, guys, we're finally going to get into movies, and the other half of me is like, you know, fuck you. <laughs> it's our show. You know, we, we do this all the time, you know. I wrote that statement. People can, we'll just refer people back to that statement from a few a few weeks ago. Oh, right, right, right. Where it's um, our show and let us host it. Yeah. Uh, but no, um, so this will get us in, into movies. You were telling us about, a, I guess, a project you're undertaking or? Well, I don't know. Maybe your <laughs> listeners will have to get a little bit older to understand this sentiment, but you feel like so many things are coming at you. And two <laughs> weeks ago, I just, you get so exhausted. I don't know if you guys are as freaking busy in your lives as i am but you just get exhausted the rat race trying to keep money together trying to trying to perform all you can trying to appear uh, you know capable and patient and friendly with your loved ones and associates uh that you just you miss all these things that come at you and i just started writing down a bunch of books you read whole books and forget that you read them (laughs) and movies and i just started writing them down lists of various things albums musicals plays and i wrote down just a bunch of movies that i have seen that i are you numbering them i'm kind of clustering them okay and i'm not worrying that my list is not comprehensive i'm just kind of trying to remember stuff that i've really liked especially i guess what i'm saying is how is this going to be useful as a reference tool in the future it's not a reference (laughs) tool it's like a it's like it's like a a photo album just so you can glance at it and go oh yeah because to me what i what i I see because i also have a I have a as for someone who loves movies. I have a bad memory for them. I've said them on the show before, and someday we'll talk about it at length though, when it's just me and Tyler here. Um, but what what I see the usefulness of that is that an alphabetical alphabetical list of every film you've seen mm-hmm. that you can store on your phone, and when you're at, wherever you are, you know, browsing Netflix or, or or what have you, and you see a title, and you're like, "Oh, uh, Courage Under Fire." Did I see that one? And then you just go to see, and uh, you see, oh yeah, I did, I did see it. I wouldn't even care like what I thought. Like I'm not going to make notes about like, uh-huh. but just have I seen it because I, I have that problem too. Yeah, and yeah. It, and on the in the in the podcast community and the and the film blogger community, there is an extra thing. It's like I know I've seen that movie. I couldn't tell you a thing about it, so I feel like it doesn't count. I know it does count. But I feel like it doesn't because uh-huh. I can't. T- I seem to. I have a general positive feeling towards it, so I guess I liked it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's but then you also yeah. have to take into uh, when you have a positive feeling, 
you have to take into account the age you were when you saw it. That's true. You know, yeah. because uh, I'm not going to say But this. see, I'm not, it's not as important to me that I see as many movies as you guys do, I'm sure, because mm-hmm. I don't have a you know, podcast about movies. But it drives me nuts. I would rather remember stuff about seven movies than have seen 14 that I don't really remember about. Mm-hmm. And I started realizing that about myself, that I just want to slow down a little bit and like freaking remember the cultural products that have come into my contact because otherwise I don't know it's just exa- it just gets exhausting mm-hmm. when you feel like stuff's rushing past you it's it's interesting because it, it uh, the fact that you just said like cultural product is something that's that's interesting to me because it makes me wonder and doing something like what you're doing and I remember David uh, does he makes lists of every movie that he's seen in one year. That and I, came out that year. That came out that year, yes. Yeah, so like... Um, I d- like all the 2008, you just, you know, do that. I, I only keep a list of, yeah, the 2008 releases. I've, I watch other right. things, but right. I started doing that in 2002, so I have... Wow. I, I, I have 10 years worth of, like, every movie that I've seen that's been <laughs> released in the last 10 years, I have yes. listed, and I have them ranked by how much I like them per year. Wow. And that's something I started doing, and it has worked out actually very well, because if I look back, you know, to... Three years ago, I probably only started doing it four or five years ago. When we really, when we started the show, mm-hmm. um, and when I go and look back at the list, because it's a list, it's not merely my top ten of the year; it's everything. And if I look at the top, if I look at the bottom ten, I remember those because yeah. they're terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the ones in the middle. And I was just like, yeah, I forgot that I saw it. Yeah, and that was, and what's more, that was two hours of my life, and it was two hours that I was probably looking forward to. Yeah talked about afterwards and it's just gone yeah and it makes and so like to so when you say like a cultural product it's you know you like for example i just saw i saw j edgar last weekend oh how was that no thank you it's it's pretty bad really it's you know what it is it's It's forgettable i was kind of interested exactly and i kind of i feel like the filmmakers themselves were kind of interested (laughs) and therein lay the problem and uh, and i don't like to be that dismissive about it except to just uh, read my review online anyway is it are you an Eastwood fan as a director, usually? I can be, except he is, and you can read this in the review. If you're going to do an, uh, if you're going to do a film about J. Edgar, Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover, you need to be at the very least probing, and be really interested in what made him tick. And that is not Clint Eastwood. He is not oh a probing goodness. director. He's more content to just let whatever is going to happen. But it's written happen. by the guy who wrote Milk, and I think that's so. And I so, would expect more probing from him, perhaps. I don't consider Milk to be a very probing film either. Really? No. Okay. Like as far as like what drives somebody. Did you see the documentary that Milk was based on? I haven't seen. No, it. No, I haven't. I think it's. I saw it for free on Hulu. Now Hulu's gotten smart and started charging for stuff or whatever. Don't you have <laughs> yeah. to be a member now? Well, there's there's. I don't free blame stuff, them, but there, man, it was a good little and run. There's uh, and there's pay. Okay. Stuff now. Well, the movie, the documentary. Mm-hmm. On which Milk was based is so good. Man, I think it won it the Oscar that year. The, it's called the Times. The of Times Harvey of Harvey Milk. Milk. Is that right? yeah. yeah, it was great. Man, was it good? And I feel like, but so like so, J. Edgar. Yeah, it's just it's a it's a film. It needs to decide what it wants to be. It can either embrace the mystery of who he was and really like kind of have this weird intangibility to who he was that like mm-hmm. no one really knows, and he just remains an enigma at the end of the film, or it just really gets into it and is willing to hypothesize why he is who he is, much like Oliver Stone's Nixon. Right. It winds up being somewhere in between, and 
ultimately I like forgettable. Nixon. I like Nixon. I, I, I like that movie. It's I liked it a lot. It's unabashedly melodramatic. It's very melodramatic, but what the hell? You, what the hell? You know? What the hell? A lot exactly. of a. A lot of a presidency is melodrama. We get yeah. mad when there's not plot. I mean, when there's not um, some drama to it. And I thought Anthony Hopkins, I thought it was one of the more interesting um, depictions because while I don't think anybody was going to mistake Anthony Hopkins for right. Nixon, he captured him in a way that was unlike anybody's ever captured anybody else he kind of like just borrowed a little part of his mind it was very interesting i thought you know you and i both said that the film is melodramatic i actually i think have a better term for that film operatic it yeah, takes right. it takes this guy's inner self-hatred and hatred of others but mostly himself and like takes it to such heights that it's just at times funny, at times ridiculous, but yeah. at times incredibly powerful. And I wish I had gotten that. I got much more of a sense of J. Edgar Hoover from Nixon, played by Bob Hoskins, uh, than uh, than Bob I did Hoskins from uh, from Clint Eastwood. I love Bob Hoskins. I do too. So, did you ever see Mona Lisa? No. It's, it's a wonderful it's a film. Neil, Neil Jordan. I've uh, pulled up my list from 2004 to kind of find an example of a middle of the pack movie. How do you have? How do you have it? Uh, it's, in my, it's in my Google documents. Oh, okay. So I went to my Gmail. But the, I don't need the, to go through that. But the point I was making is that, like, is that I'll, you can make your point in a moment. <laughs> I just wanted is to that, be, mention a fun movie. Here's a movie that I liked, right? Okay. That I haven't thought about in at least five years. And I wonder if you have. In Good Company, starring Dennis Quaid, <laughs> Tover Grace, Scarlett Johansson, Malcolm McDowell. I think about I forgot Malcolm McDowell was in it. I only think of it in terms of, hey, that Tover Grace. <laughs> right. <laughs> I forgot that. Scarlett Johansson was in it and yes I haven't thought about that in a long time but here's the thing is that like so I saw J. Edgar it's a film that it's it it couldn't be more of a cultural product it's got Leonardo DiCaprio it's got Clint Eastwood it's a prestige film came out in November and it's and if you go all over Los Angeles bus stops there's a there's a you know there's an old looking Leo DiCaprio and J. J. Edgar everywhere you look and it's it's going to be a footnote, like in a year or two. People will remember Leonardo DiCaprio maybe a little bit, and if if anything, they'll be like, ah, oh, that's that movie that wasn't as good as The Aviator, but kind of similar, right? And that's the most it will be. It's a film that will just be lost to the sands of time because I don't think it, there's going to be a big Oscar yeah. push for it, except maybe like makeup and actor and maybe supporting actor. Rightfully so, I think Army Hammer's really good in it. But like, it's just uh, it's just to me, even though it's being t- we're being told right now. This is a very important film. Yeah. It didn't get great reviews, not a huge box office, and it's just going to go away. Yeah. I, I don't think about it now when I saw it a week ago. Yeah. I was kind of interested. I, uh, um, I thought um, – what was the other movie you just mentioned? In Good Company? No, 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 no. no. The, one, the one about um, – Milk? No, Howard, uh, Howard. Oh, the Aviator. Yeah, the Aviator. I thought that was a good movie. I did too. I mean, I thought it was visually amazing. Remember when they were flying? Yeah, they were in that cockpit. That was a, that was some amazing footage. I thought it was about an hour and a half too long. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it ultimately really went anywhere. I didn't find it that damn satisfying. But I remember thinking it was quite beautiful, and the acting was pretty terrific. Sometimes I think. Because I like the Aviator, Aviator too, but there's certain like period movies, especially but that was Scorsese, right? Yeah. Uh, period movies and especially ones that have real life characters, where it seems like at, at certain points you feel like maybe too much of the focus was on making it period specific and making yeah, that's and, and, right. And Kate Blanchett being as much that's like Captain right. as possible. Like, that's right, and that screws it up. And that's why Nixon <laughs> was pretty good because they didn't quite worry about it so much. I feel like it wasn't as 
I feel like he made the story his own, which he gets yeah. in trouble for. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's not just – the story is not just what actually happened and mm-hmm. what clothes they actually wore. Mm-hmm. It's also what we all made of it at the time. It's the difference between – I mean, we're talking about biopics. It's a shame this wasn't our topic. But it is something that that's, can be talked about a lot. It's the difference between Walk the Line and Ray. Ray, Jamie Foxx, who won an Oscar for his mm-hmm. performance, as far as the surface of things, great impression of Ray Charles. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know anything about Ray Charles at the end of that film. Yeah. Walk the Line, not as great an impression of Johnny Cash, but I feel like I know Johnny Cash. Yeah. Like it's, it's more they're portraying an idea of Johnny Cash, an yeah. idea of Richard Nixon. And because it's that, it's more malleable. I'd say the same with yeah, uh, that's Capote. Right. That's right. Like he starts with a character and then it's like, oh, I guess he talked like this too. I guess I'll do that. But that comes at the end. And so like – so yeah, it's, I feel like that's, that's what makes a much more satisfying film is if, it, if they approach it like a movie first instead of, okay, this is somebody's life. We've got to be true to that. It's like yeah, right. uh, to a certain extent. Yeah. I don't know. Because it's not really possible to be true to that original. I mean, right. it, unless it's a documentary. Made mm-hmm. by the person himself, and even yeah. that's not objective. No. So go nuts with it a little bit. Yeah. And that's, it's kind of the, it's that theory, actually, that makes me really embrace. You saw Inglorious Bastards, I assume, right? Oh, yeah. It makes me really embrace, spoilers, when they kill Hitler, <laughs> and everyone's like, that's not how history. That's not how it worked. That's not how it happened. It's like, yeah, but it's how we wish it happened. And by the way, this is our movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of like that they're just you know, they're going to do whatever they're well, going to do. And, and what are you saying about World War II? A big part about, of World War II is everyone's wishes, you know, going into that war. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it's a revenge fantasy movie. That's all it is, really, is a mm-hmm. revenge fantasy mm-hmm. movie. So, But we do have revenge fantasies, so they are true in their own way. Mm-hmm. Can, can I – can I that's use? Great, yeah, that's a great way of thinking of it. Can I use Inglorious Bastards to uh, segue into a different film-related topic? Sure. Here's something that came up on uh, uh, the Criterion Cast. There's a Robert. There's a podcast that they go week through week through the Criterion Collection. You like podcasts? You should listen. They talk to about it. a different movie every week. It's it's fun stuff. They recently did um, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, which is a movie that I love, um, and they were complaining about the fact that the movie was made in the 1980s and the score is very 1980s, even though it's a World War II film. And, of course, Inglourious Bastards uses uh, Cat People, the David, David Bowie song, mm-hmm. um, and uh, another another criterion, at least the Makioka Sisters. It's uh, a period film that has um, very 80s-related score. Now, to me, if the sound, if the score is not diegetic, to use a film school term, term if it's coming from outside the mm-hmm. the action within the picture, then I don't care if it's anachronistic because it's not really in the movie. The movie was made in 2011 or 1986 or what have you. Right. Uh, so it doesn't bother me if the score is from a time later than when the movie was set. Does that bother you guys? Uh, I think it's... I think it is... It doesn't bother me, but I think it is jarring at first. And then I just kind of accept it. And what's more is the purpose might be to be jarring. Or it might yeah, also okay, like using using Queen in a Knight's Tale. That's very specifically yeah yeah yeah. But also, it's it's almost like well, what 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 rule is it that uh, that it need that because it's taking place in this period, it has to use the music of that period? Like, yeah. well, that music doesn't touch us anymore. 
the music we listen to now has an has more of an effect on us than the movie than the music then. So yeah. it can use our music now to put us in the in the mood of whatever mm-hmm. whatever might be happening in this war or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And so I see it it's as like, a uh, it's hard to maybe if you're making a movie about Beethoven to appreciate the effect that Beethoven had because all of that music kind kind of sounds stodgy and old-fashioned to us. Are you referring to the St. Bernard? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, why not uh if you're making a movie about a classical musician use uh, heavy metal or something, you know, mm-hmm. that's going to get a more visceral reaction. Well, you know, I I think it's I think it just depends. If somebody can pull up something moving from the time and present it to us in a new way, then that oh, yeah. can be that can be terrific too. But I often dislike music when I don't need music to tell me how to feel about a scene. That's mm-hmm. the most oh. common response that I have to music in movies is that it's manipulating me and it's. Again, it's probably part of getting older. Is that you don't want to. It's just the world. Is, the world gets so confusing. Like at parties anymore, I turn the damn music off because I can't be you know listening to Bell and Sebastian and talking to somebody else at the same time. I mean, I, there are too many um, sensory perceptions coming at me at a given time, anyways. And I do feel like a lot of movie music is too manipulative, and I don't like it. And a lot of times. If you see a Queen song over some scene that's, you know, clearly anachronistic, it can be fine and it can also be too cute by half. Mm-hmm. And that irritates me. I don't want to, I don't want to see how clever your musical juxtaposition is. Yeah. Sometimes I just get irritated by that. Mm-hmm. As uh, I feel like it's just, ugh, it's, it's. I do think it needs to earn it. I think to do it yeah, haphazardly. It's a good way to put it. It's a little frustrating. I, I'll talk, uh, there's a movie that I, uh, Tyler and I both dislike that we talk about often that we dislike. I'd right. like to know how Robert feels about it. Fight Club. Are you a fan of that of that movie? I never saw that oh, movie. Well, that's fine. I'm so embarrassed to admit that. Um, I think I, it's. I think it's one that he should still see at some point, just because it is kind of a cultural I'm touchstone. So embarrassed. I do. I. You know what? I think to myself with a certain amount of regularity, I've got to see freaking Fight Club. <laughs> um, well, I'm not a fan, but. Um, there's uh, at the very end. There's the use of uh, the Pixie song "Where's My Mind." As oh, uh, I love that song. As like buildings are crumbling, and it's kind of perfect. But it also makes me wonder: like, did David Fincher? Wh- which where's the which one's the chicken? Which one's the egg? You know, which came first? Like, did he did he have that sequence in his head uh, and think "Where's My Mind" would be good for that? Or did he just like the emotion that he feels during that intro to where it's when it has like the guitar and then the the drums sort of ramp up to do 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 yeah uh, like did he have that feeling and go oh I got to work that into my movie because the the latter is is lazy and manipulative the thing you're talking about and it's not really filmmaking I don't think but you know Tarantino kind of pre he he I've heard and you, you can imagine he sits around and listens to music as a way of kind of sorting a story out, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but, I mean, there's a difference between, like, I want this emotion here, uh-huh. and then just essentially making, I guess, a music video in the middle of your film. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? And, and that's, what, uh, that's what bothers me about that, that sequence in Fight Club. On its own, I think it's amazing. Uh, I think that mm-hmm. that sequence of the buildings falling is fucking great for Where Is My Mind, but I don't know that it's great for Fight Club. Yeah, 
and then it, so it's irritating to you right. that it's it's shoehorned in there because it was because yeah. he knew it was going to be cute. Oh, and I, I watch a lot of television, and television is even a bigger offender. They will just just wholesale just transplant a song in so you know what emotion to feel. Yeah, you know, uh, I love the West Wing, but the the season three finale uses Jeff Buckley's cover of Hallelujah. Yeah. Oh, so originally, because no one's ever used that in a thing before. Uh, and it's just, it makes me roll my eyes. That's why I go back and forth on that episode, whether I like it or not. Yeah. So what are, uh, so what are some I haven't said my catchphrase. Oh, what, shoot. So Here's the thing. I don't really comment on it, but people know, because we have, we sell t-shirts and stuff that say Yeah, it. yeah. But like, when we go from the pre-topic interview or our discussion into the main topic, I'm supposed to say, let's get into it, shall we? Yeah, nice. So that they know we're getting into it. And I didn't say that. Here we are talking about movies for 20 minutes, and I haven't said it. I know. I'm sure some people are like, <laughs> when are we into it? What's, what's going let's on? edit back you, <laughs> you saying that and edit back to me in a week once I've seen Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> I just All like right. the idea. Let's just, we'll, we'll put in my voice as you. And so there'll be a nice, steady conversation. Then let's get into it, shall we? Yeah. Is that your impression of me? Yes. <laughs> Abrasive, annoying. Yes. I Brusque. If, I wonder if any of the listeners have, like, regular listeners have impressions of us. Here's the thing. By the way, let's get into it, shall we? Oh, indeed. The, 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 the topic is. The topic is: Do you have impressions of us? <laughs> <laughs> it kind of comes. Uh, it comes out of a, a biopic discussion. It makes sense. <laughs> um, no, I have. I've had that thought. Not necessarily. Because I've had friends who do impressions of me, and then I ask to see them, which is always a mistake, by the way. Um, and then they do them, and I'm just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you get deflated. I guess, uh, <laughs> I guess I, I'm just going to start talking with an accent or something, because uh, I hate, is this how I present myself? But, we, you know, we have a friend who's been on the show. We'll get back to the main topic in a yeah. second. Uh, his name is Frank, also known as Frank Feel My Wrath McGrath. Damn right. And he has such a distinctive way of speaking that I think literally anyone who's known Frank for a week has a Frank impression. Yeah. <laughs> Which it's, is it's essentially like, I'm Frank. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even, you don't even need to say words and people get it. And it just goes very well with his giant beard. Has anyone ever done an impression of you? Oh, yeah. Seen? There are people who do them. Yeah. 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 Pete Holmes does uh-huh. an impression of me. And... Uh, Everybody depicts me as this just crazy hillbilly character. <laughs> and Pete starts improvising um, in my voice. And I grab a pen and paper because he, because he comes out with just devastatingly good material. <laughs> he just starts making up absurdist things. Check this out, okay? He said he said one time he was doing that. He was doing me. He says, hi, I'm Rob Buscemi. I say the opposite of what I'm supposed to say on stage. And then he goes, and then he starts thinking and he gets on the, it's so annoying, but beautiful at the same time. He gets on the precipice of coming up with something that I would say. And, uh, he'll say, what did he say? He said, uh, you ever, you ever wonder what, wait, how does it go? Um, he says, you ever think about, the inside of a penguin? What, what's inside a penguin? It's just you'd think it would be more penguin, wouldn't you? Well, it's not. I'm telling you, he did that. I took it from him. I did that joke, and it was the bit, you know, for the first three or four years in my stand-up that people always would come up and ask me, say, you ever think about what's inside a penguin? Is it just more penguin? <laughs> like an eraser? <laughs> And, uh, yeah, he just – and so – and then there are a couple of people who do – I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, oh, and then somebody just – there's a show, Stick or Treat, 
every Halloween where comedians do other comedians. They do yeah. impressions of other comedians. A whole row of people. And some people do famous comedians and some people do um, uh, people just on the scene in L.A. And yeah. and uh, Mike Bridenstine did me this year and it was hilarious. And he did original material as me, which I really like because a lot of times people just – We'll watch a YouTube clip and do – some people have done just – somebody did a fantastic Kyle Kinane last year. Heidi Hayward did a perfect Kyle Kinane <laughs> last year and a perfect Maria Bamford this year. Uh, but he actually wrote – but she did it off a YouTube clip and did those people's jokes. But mm. Bridenson actually did my jokes. So they get they get into spoofing what I – you know, the way I act like an idiot. So it's <laughs> it's fun. I don't know. It doesn't bother me so much. Well, let's get back into it, shall we? No, I'm just going to keep using Sorry. the uh, no, it's the, fine the it's... to make up for it. Um, yeah, it's fine. Uh, Hang on. Listeners, uh, here's what I want you to do. Record yourselves doing an impression of – if you do an impression of me or feel like you can do one, record yourselves, send it in. If you do an impression of David, same deal. Send it to both of us, please. I want to laugh at your impression of David and cry at your impression of me. <laughs> and uh, and uh, maybe we'll uh, – Maybe we'll post them. Yeah, I hope so. All uh, right, I that's hope exciting. Get some good ones, and Great. of course, do you send in your impressions of of Robert as well? Very much Robert so. Robert or Rob? Robert or Rob? It's okay. kind of fifty fifty. Some okay. people call me Bobby on the stand up scene sometimes. So uh, I don't think whatever don't think flies out that. of your mouth works. Um. So what? Uh, what are some of your favorite movies? <laughs> Um, uh, my favorite movies. I like With Nail and I. Sure, uh, I just saw that for the first time. Really? You're kidding? Yeah, like for the a few first time. Ago. Yeah. Oh God, I love that movie. It's really good. Have either of you seen The Rum Diary? No. The new because he he directed it. The same director. Oh, yeah. you're kidding! I didn't realize because Johnny Depp's a big With Nail and I fan, and he essentially coaxed um, that guy out of retirement oh, to direct the Rum Diary movie. It's unfortunate. Would Johnny can do that. Good. What's that? Johnny can do that, yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, with Neil and I, that's... Is it a good movie? Rum Diary? I didn't I'm not, see it. not hearing good things. Yeah. The reviews oh. are not strong. Oh. They're not terrible. It's just I hear mediocre things. Okay. But, um, so with Neil and I, yes, okay. Sorry. Wonderful, wonderful movie. I love that movie. I love it. And you're, and that's the thing is like, you did like a lot of like theater and yeah. such. And I feel like having, and I haven't done, I, I didn't really do any professional theater or anything like that. I did like high school and community theater and that sort of thing. But even then, you you would see what I'm just thinking about with Neil and I. Oh, okay. We, I mean, obviously, there's the two main Richard Grant and Paul uh, McGann. McGann, yeah, uh, are hilarious. But people don't talk enough about how funny Rich, Richard Griffiths is. That yeah, Richard yeah, yeah. Griffiths. Richard Griffiths. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> how did he, he get hair here? <laughs> but, but in his like, as yeah. a youth, I would weep in butcher shops. Is <laughs> <laughs> the best. That that is like. You're absolutely right. Like you hear all about like uh, Richard E. Grant and his performance is great. All the performances are great. Uh-huh. Like, I did not battery acid or whatever he drinks. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know that Richard Griffiths was in it. I didn't know the type of character he played. And he freaking runs away with that movie, he and does. that is not an easy hijack- movie to run he away with. He hijacks it for a little while. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a, and it's and his character is so sad. I feel it so is. bad for yeah. him. <laughs> I just want to. The whole movie is terribly sad. Really, yeah, yeah, it really is. I found myself like I would laugh, but then I'd be like, "Oh, this is uncomfortable." <laughs> you know, that movie is the most plotless, meandering. Just it's just a series of scenes. There, mm-hmm. but nothing happens. The whole movie, really, nothing happens. But Richard Grant is never not lighting or smoking a cigarette. Every, <laughs> I don't think the the bull is coming after his friend, and he lights a cigarette. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's just wonderful. I just love that movie. And you know, it's interesting because if you look at like the cover art, uh, it's it's by Ralph Steadman, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that's appropriate because when I think of Ralph Steadman, like anybody else, I think of Fear and Loathing. It has a Fear and Loathing vibe to me of just like there's a main character who is pretty aimless in his life yeah but then there's his insane friend who's yes. even worse and it then they just getting similar. crazy adventures have you heard about uh, um because there's a number of Jimi hendrix songs yeah that's in, right yeah. and the i guess the hendrix estate or the family is not entirely pleased with that because they're they don't like the idea that Jimi hendrix music is so often related to this excess of controlled substances and stuff like that uh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I I heard somewhere that the Hendrix estate was, anyways. I don't know what it's, situation it's in now, but it was an absolute mess, yeah. and that's why there are so many different um, greatest hits compilations because mm-hmm. nobody ever quite knew who owned or had rights or whatever. That makes sense. But that movie's used. That music is used to great effect. In that movie, I don't think about it as being a theater movie, but it is, isn't it? Because yeah. they're out of work actors, and then yeah. the, the Hamlet he does, oh, <laughs> it's amazing. It's ju- it's just a film that I can safely say I thought I knew what it was going in, and was I'm going to say every 15 to 20 minutes surprised uh-huh. that oh no, it's this. Wait. What? It's this? <laughs> yeah. And then that, that moment at the end is so, like... I mean, we've had discussions on the show that, like, a film... It, depending on your opinion, I'm I'm of the opinion that as far as what a movie is about, it is about how it ends. And so, like, a movie could be great, and then it ends on this terrible note, and that will retroactively make the movie good, uh, make the movie bad. And but I disagree it, with that, by the way. We've done a whole. That's episode. fine. He's he's all, he's all style, no substance. Anyway, it's <laughs> <laughs> that's how I've come to. You but say how, formalist. I say all style, no how substance. About, see, I feel like Big Night had the best ending of any movie in history, and that the ending was so spectacular. I personally don't really remember anything about the whole movie. I thought the whole movie was it was okay, it was fine, mm-hmm. but that ending was so wonderful and perfect that it, I remembered as a fantastic perfect movie almost big night is a good example of what we were talking about before it is not a forgettable film by any stretch of the imagination i saw it so long ago i can't really remember any of it i remember the character types and that's all so spoilers everybody for big night how does it end (laughs) okay spoilers uh so it's too much effort to say spoiler alert. So you I, saved I don't have the two syllables. <laughs> I like that. Well, I guess it's a common enough theme, uh, you know, need for you to bring it up. Right. Uh, the two brothers had been out the night before. Stanley Tucci and uh, Tony Shalhoub. Yeah, Tony yeah. Shalhoub yeah. had been out the night before. Had a horrendous fight mm-hmm. at the end of the big night, and were really taking off the gloves and and slamming each other, you know, verbally on the beach or something, and then. The final scene is the next morning. They're both in the kitchen of the restaurant after this horrible night, and um, uh, the singer failed to show up. You know, the Vegas singer. singer um, Was it Louis Prima? Yes, Louis okay. Prima. Thank yeah. you. Who I adore Louis Prima, by the way. Um, I know him as King Louis myself, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. The voice of King Louis, right? Oh, he's the best. Yeah. Um, but they show up, and uh, they go in the kitchen. And one of them makes each other, one of them makes the other one an omelet, like in uh-huh. real time. It's like a two and a half minute shot. And 
they both split the bread and the omelet, and that one of them puts their arms around the arm around the other one, and that's the scene that nobody says anything, but the one makes the other breakfast in that kitchen. You don't remember that? Oh, no, it's I, so, I, I remember that Louis Prima doesn't show up, um, but I didn't remember. I guess I guess I remember the reconciliation, but I didn't remember like the you know the specifics of it. But I am such a fan of. I haven't seen Big Night actually, but. Uh, that's almost as bad as my not having seen <laughs> yeah, Fight Club. Right. No, it's, it's not. Exactly the same. It's not. But um, but you talk, I, and I've always wanted to see it, but now I can't wait to see it because the idea that there's a shot of just someone making an oh, omelet. That's wonderful. I love that idea. I love uh, Rafifi. The, uh, that's a seen, wonderful have film. Have you ever seen that? It has like a 25-minute uh, robbery sequence in which there's no dialogue, and they don't I – mean, he could like – he could have sort of flashly cut around just showing you the important stuff, but he shows you the entire robbery where because there are people in the apartment below or the business below, I can't remember what, they have to be silent. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a robbery. It's the entire process of a robbery. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I love just seeing Jim Jarmusch is great with mm-hmm. with silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was the Johnny Depp one? He Dead had Man. A, Dead Man. I, I really remember that being a really distinctive movie that I liked a lot. But he, I think he had some money by the time he made that one, or he had a bit of a budget. Probably, yes. Which made it prettier than his early stuff that I really, really liked, Down mm-hmm. by Law, and actually, what was the other one? Stranger, Stranger than, than Paradise. Paradise. Yeah. I love those two. But <laughs> Dead Man was absolutely beautiful, but there were whole stretches that where nobody said anything. Yeah. I love it's that. Got, uh, that um, is anti-melodic as, as it is the score by neil young for dead mm-hmm. man i i have the cd i can just listen to it even even though it's not really songs it's clearly meant to score an image it's so compelling to me that i can just listen yeah yeah and uh and it's interesting because some dead man is an interesting film because some people love it and say it's like one of the best movies of all time i think jonathan rosenbaum is a huge fan of that right i'm a, I'm a huge fan of jonathan rosenbaum and then ebert on the other hand hates that movie and says like it's the long stretches of traveling quietly on the train he's just like just get there and it's like well ebert doesn't like that i like ebert that I, I do too and every once in a while he will just like i don't know don't get me wrong i'm not saying like you're a bad critic if you don't like uh, dead man but it's it's weird that sometimes he'll have a reaction to a movie whether positive or negative mm-hmm. and just like i i don't know how you how you got there and you like Jim Jarmish uh-huh. and you're like come on get there Jim Jarmish like, wow. <laughs> is it pretentious <laughs> that I like with? that kind of stuff because like like Andrew uh, Tarkovsky's Solaris the, or not the, not Soderbergh remake but the original mm-hmm. one has a part that's just five minutes of driving on the freeway mm-hmm. where the the camera's looking out the windshield I remember that I, I scene love it. I love what, it what movie's that in Solaris that uh, Russian science fiction film from 72, I want to say. 72 well, I thought you were talking right. about Stranger Than Paradise or something, because oh. isn't Stranger well, Than Paradise? The there's a scene too. or two with a camera inside a car looking out, and that's all you see. I think it's gorgeous. I love that stuff. Well, that that, that wouldn't uh, surprise me. I'm a huge fan of... I, I like all thing, pretty much all Jim Jarmusch films. I haven't seen Limits of Control, but I hear that that one's not quite as good. It's, it, it's for completists only. I... <laughs> As, oh, a, as a Jarmusch fan, I find only. I find things to like in it, but I am I am disheartened that it's not funny because mm. Jim Jarmusch, even in his movies like Down by Law, is Down by Law is hilarious. Yeah. Even though his movies have it this slow, hilarious. languid pace, 
uh, but like uh, Broken Flowers, Down by Law, like these are funny movies. They're very and, funny and, movies, and that's the thing that Limit, Limits of Control has all the sort of measured, uh, you know, drawn out um, Jim Jarmusch pacing to it. Mm-hmm. But other than John Hurt, who's just like weird in the movie, there's not a lot I'll of take laughs. It. Remember uh, Mystery Train? Didn't he do Mystery I Train? Seen I oh, have that, that was Train. Lovely. I have the Blu-ray at home. I haven't yeah, watched. So it. nice. Yeah. And uh, he has the funniest line in Dead Man. It's the filthiest line. Can I say the line if it's sure. sort of filthy? Oh, yeah. You can say whatever he you said they're talking about the one guy who's a real outlaw around the campfire, and they're all kind of outlaws, but they mm-hmm. say, yeah. You know, someone says, uh, you know, stay away from that guy. He's trouble. He killed his parents. And someone asks him, like, is it true what they say? And I think it's the character himself. He says, yep, killed him, fucked him, ate him. <laughs> <laughs> it's like wow <laughs> I could swear that's the line and I only ever saw the movie once only in the theater when it came out oh, wow. all these years later but I bet you could could google those like words that, and it would I, be I don't remember if that's the exact killed him, line fucked him, ate him I could I would bet 10 bucks that I was right about that but I will never I will never forget the image of because Lan, Lance Henriksen that they're talking about and he's he's hanging out with uh uh, hanging out, yeah, they're just biggie palling around. Um, Michael Wincott, as oh. kind of, who's this? I always like Michael Wincott. He's yeah. got like that awesome voice, and he's kind of a cool guy. But he's just playing this annoying, like toady type. And so he kills him, and then you see him like eating the bones off a skeleton, oh, and yeah. eating the meat off That's skeleton. Right. So it's like confirmed that he does do yeah. this with people. Yeah, and it's only and Jarmusch is very good about just implying that. And yeah, he always. At some point in this movie, he just has something that's absolutely hysterical, I think. And there's a wonderful scene in Dead Man. We're turning into Chris Farley. Be like, you remember this part? It's pretty <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah. But uh, where it's a, it's a comedy scene that ends horrifically violent in which the, Billy Bob Thornton is in. He's only oh, in one scene. Yeah. It's around the campfire. And uh, and they're arguing about something. It's a comical argument. And then Billy Bob Thornton gets shot in the foot. And he says to me one of the funniest lines ever, considering you've gotten shot. And he goes, God damn it, I'm hit. <laughs> and he starts bouncing on one foot. And then they just all slaughter each other. And But just the way he says it, just so matter of fact. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I got to see that movie again. That's pretty, pretty funny. You know Billy Bob Thornton was good in? Remember The Apostle? I love The Apostle. Yeah. Yeah, I love The Apostle. Yeah. It's just a tour de force, you know, acting yeah. work clinic. Yeah. But and then Billy Bob shows up on the lawn and he gets converted right there. It's beautiful. Yeah. And it's and that's an interesting performance as well because he Billy Bob Thornton is an interesting actor because he can be and is so often asked to be kind of over the top a little bit or a little heightened at least. Right. And in that in that performance he's just completely down to earth and just there's an awkwardness to his performance. Like you're not totally sure why right. he wants to destroy the right. church. Right. You can't tell if like he uses like uh, the N word at one point and you're like He's saying racist things. I don't think he's racist, though. I think he's using that as a mask for some kind of deeper problem he has. Yeah. It's a it's a really interesting character. Yeah, who's only in I think two scenes, three. I think just two. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting to me because to me, Billy Bob Thornton and Robert Duvall are this are similar actors. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I can put my finger on why they just both have a similar. Uh, crazed quality to their <laughs> instincts, but I think also um, <clears throat> n- neither one of them ever really 
seems like they're working. You know yeah. what I mean? They, yeah. they, they, they seem so comfortable in their characters. Yeah. As opposed to what Sean Penn, who occasionally is, is like Tyler likes to point out, occasionally trying to prove to you how hard his job is. Yeah. I can't remember exactly how Tyler worded it. Yes, I get it. You're like a construction worker, except you're... Uh, he's good in Milk, though. Nice, yeah. effortless performance in Milk. Yeah. But... Uh, he was good Mystic in Sweet River. and Low Down. I love Sweet and Low Down. I it think that's really his best good. performance. Yeah, I, th- I think... That was one of maybe three, you know, post husbands and wives Woody Allen films that I would get that I would consider seeing again. Yeah. I think most of them are. I well, didn't think Midnight in Paris was all that good. I thought it was very it. pretty, but I forgot about it very quickly. Uh, I, li- I liked it a lot. I, I know a lot of people did, but it just. But also, um, I, I saw it. Uh, I saw it at a press screening. Uh, listeners love when nice. I about that. Why don't mind telling um, you? I saw it on a plane. <laughs> Um, and I didn't know anything at all about the story, so I didn't know that it had this like time travel element. Right? Did you know before you saw it? No, I did not know. I didn't okay. either. And it's because I think that helped me to enjoy it, like just be, to be so delighted by the fact that suddenly he's in the 1920s. I think what I like about it is that it's this. This is going to sound insulting, and it's going to sound like I'm saying one thing when I'm actually not. It almost it has the vibe of like a minor Woody Allen. Like there's his important films. Then there's the ones he's just doing for fun. And this one feels like just a fun movie. It has like elements of like, Oh, the role that nostalgia can play in your life. And and that sort of thing. And even, and Owen Wilson having him, I'm like, I think, I think I'm having a revelation here or whatever it is. He says (laughs) like when they're in the, the Belle Epoque. Yeah. 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 And, and (laughs) moments like that are not treated as like big groundbreaking moments. And because it's so slight and light and airy, mm-hmm. I'm willing to accept it more. Whereas like something like, uh, I don't know. I enjoy match point and I recognize he's not trying to be funny in that film, but it yeah. also feels like he's really trying to do something uh-huh. um, at times. Uh, I appreciate it, but I don't love it. I am not a fan of match point. Do you like bullets over Broadway? Uh, I thought it was all right. Oh, I man, didn't adore I it, but it was Diane Weist, right? Yeah. And I she's lo- wonderful, man. She's yeah. absolutely fantastic. I didn't love that movie. It, uh, look, look. <laughs> okay, he's there. I thought it was cute. I thought Sweet and Low Down was cute. I thought Midnight in Paris was cute. Mm-hmm. You compare any of those movies to, I mean, give me give me eight minutes of Husbands and Wives mm-hmm. over over. The subsequent twenty films. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's day and night. Oddly enough, I've uh, I've never seen husbands. You've and never wives. seen husbands and wives. I've seen like crimes. Listen, and I, ha- I do and- have to say, I'm very good because I I haven't seen that many movies. If you haven't seen a movie that I think is important that that I haven't seen, it's a big move with me. I really make you feel it. <laughs> I really press the advantage, dude. Yeah. That one is that one is stunning. Mm-hmm. Judy Davis. I like Judy. Oh Davis. my god, she's she. It's a, it's amazing. Have you seen it? Oh yeah. Has either of you seen the Ben Stiller show sketch where they did – it's essentially husbands and wives except it's like Frankenstein and the Bride of Frankenstein oh, and like no, the no. mummy. It like, it's like monsters and wives. I can't remember what they called it, but it's uh, it's so great. Wow. It's so like spot on. That Ben Stiller show was short-lived. People but I think- say that it was extremely influential, that that show was a real hallmark in the yeah. comedy world. I've, I've – yeah. Run across that sentiment. I never saw the damn show. It's but. great. It's on DVD. It's pretty. It's worth watching. Good. There's some. There's some good stuff in there. Uh, Bob Odenkirk does some oh, really fun king. stuff in there. Uh, especially, as I especially like his impression of Charles Manson. Dude, Mister <laughs> so. Mister Mister Show. Yeah. There's not. You know. It's, yeah. 
There's nothing better. Yeah, they do Charles. They do uh, Lassie, except instead of Lassie, their pet is Charles Manson. Yeah, it's st- <laughs> it's shot in black and white. There's still like a father, uh, mother, and little Timmy. And their acting style and is it's exactly TV the cooks. same. But imagine, imagine just an episode of Lassie. <laughs> But every time it's a dog barking, it's Charles Manson saying Manson-esque things. <laughs> wow. Um, like, he comes in, he's like, Is it on wow, YouTube? Right, i got to see the clip. Probably, yeah. And but, they, they've returned to it a few times. But like, my, my favorite part is actually not something that Manson says. It's something that Jeanine Garofalo says. As the mother, she tells Timmy, we take Manson outside, will you? He's underfoot. <laughs> <laughs> but she, yeah, and so he comes in and goes, he's like, and he says whatever. And then she's like, quiet, Manson, I'm cooking dinner. And he goes... <laughs> He goes, uh, he goes I'll, I'll make brain stew for dinner when I'm the cook, Jack. <laughs> and it's just, oh, boy. That was a funny thing. Ben Stiller show. Everybody seek it out. It's yeah, pretty yeah. solid. I just want to yeah. keep talking about that. Like he, answers, he answers the phone, and he says, yeah. like, I'm inside your children. And the is like, no, Manson's not inside anyone's children. He just likes to say that. <laughs> All right. That's no- That's, we're not ending on movies. Yeah, are, are there, we, should, we should wrap up here. Are there uh, any, any movies? What movie can you watch at any time? What, what, what movie do you think you've seen the most? What's, what's a go-to movie for Robert Buscemi? Um, let's see. I'll watch, uh, you know what? I like comedian with Jerry Seinfeld. That's mm-hmm. an absolutely wonderful movie. Maybe. I think. Yeah. And I don't, uh, I, I wonder, I, I think that movie would play fine if you weren't a comedy fan or, or, or a comedian, right? That's what I like about it. I feel like it's, um, it's, uh, a study of life. Really? I feel mm-hmm. like, I just think it's wonderful. It's kind of two different versions of life. Mm-hmm. Um, Jerry Seinfeld plays the foil to a younger uh, comedian mm-hmm. and uh, Orny Adams. Orny Adams, but it's got this wonderful jazz score that kind of comes up underneath it. But I would recommend if anybody's going to listen to it to get the DVD because there's an outtake of Jerry Seinfeld talking in this incredibly animated way that you never see uh-huh. him talking in on the documentary in which he's very, very controlled. It's very much in a minor key, that movie. Mm -hmm. That's why I could see it again and again because it never grates on your nerves and you Mm -hmm. could sort of, your consciousness can watch it and then wander Mm -hmm. because it's it's just very inspiring about the art form and what it's about. And and also, I I think, because I think if you are into seeing anyone create or or interested in a job, comedian is, is good for that. I don't think it has to be you don't have to be into comedy. No, 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 not at all. It's really not at it's all about any sort of artist. Yeah, that's right. Honing and it really back. creates a sense of the world. Like you said, like there's a nice jazz score, and the way it's shot, it's kind of that grainy. It has a grainy digital quality, yeah. and it kind of feels a little raw at times, just yeah. in in the filmmaking style. And you really feel like you know you're in a smoky comedy club, and you really feel like you're inhabiting the same world that they are. And Seinfeld's, I mean, everybody's seen him so much on television that I think anybody would be interested in sort of seeing him on, you know, in Mm -hmm. a a more, uh, in a different context and and philosophizing about life. And what, one thing I like about it, I have to say, is he's a little bit older, a little bit heavier. Yeah. And to watch him walk out on stage, just kind of, he has a little bit of a waddle when he walks. (laughs) And it's very charming to see. I don't know to see why he's still plugging away at this particular puzzle. Yeah. After, you know, his 
achievements. I think it's very interesting personally, but I think Seinfeld is a lot stranger of a comedian than people give him credit for being. So that to me is interesting too. Yeah, now I you think- were mentioning the the outtake. Is it is it him talking about? I don't remember if this. It's been a while since I've seen the film. This might be in the film or it might be the outtake where he's talking about wanting this bit to work. That's right. That's it. But it's it, and he he does everything he can to make yeah, it work, and right. it isn't happening. Meanwhile, this that's dumb right. bit over here that he just threw out one day exactly it means nothing. That's right. It's just a, really a turn of phrase, that's a, and that one soars. That's an outtake, yeah. and yeah. you're almost mad at the filmmakers for not putting it in the damn right. film. It feels like, but it, it is a very. I mean, the tone is the mood of that outtake is totally different because it's giddy he's talking about being a mother bird and he shoves the one joke out of the nest you know to get rid of it because it's getting on his nerves and it flies beautifully immediately because it's just this dumb one-off joke Mm -hmm. and this other one that's this baby that's this precious baby he's worked and worked and worked and it just falls and it can't get up and he doesn't know what to do with it or how to change it. it's just a beautiful metaphor it has something to do with karate right like one of like the joke that doesn't work has to do with like the way people always just happen to know if someone knows karate yeah, or something like yeah, it doesn't matter yeah. who the person is, what their uh, job is. Like, yeah. oh, he knows karate. It was it's something terrific. like that. Yeah. And it's like, there's a joke to be found in there. I'd like to hear it, but we don't hear it in the film, unfortunately. And, right. uh, another reason people should get that DVD, and I imagine you've watched this, the commentary with Jerry Seinfeld <laughs> and Colin Quinn is another enjo- uh, amazing experience on yeah. its own because it's hilarious. Yeah. But also, it's the only. Th- you don't get in the movie. You don't get Jerry Seinfeld's opinion of Orny Adams as a stand-up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they 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 cut around that because you don't. They're never performing at the same time, yeah. really. Uh, and you actually in the commentary get to hear Jerry talk about like what he what he finds funny, what he doesn't with Orny Adams. It's it's really really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, or, 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 there's a part in the movie where Orny Adams is just it's like after a show that didn't go well, and he's like just really pissed off, and he starts going off. He's like, there's. Some poor woman out there who's going to be my wife, and she has oh, no that's idea. Beautiful. Like, it's, it's like she has, she's just walking around. She's living her life. She's happy right now. She has no idea what's coming for her. How and, miserable she's going to yeah, be. Yeah, and and on the commentary, Jerry loves that. Like mm-hmm. you know about how great that is. Yeah, you get frustrated by Orny's character, and you're kind of supposed to. That's the way the film is structured mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, you see why he's so damn funny because that is one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Any, it's the most yeah. self genuinely knowledgeable and ugly thing you've uh-huh. ever heard anyone say about themselves but it's the most hilarious thing you've ever heard that uh-huh. moment that yeah. you're describing yeah. yeah it's perfect it reminds me of something that uh, friend of the show Mike Schmidt has said because Mike's a bigger guy and he would uh the night before he goes on a trip, he's always like he would turn to his wife and be like, "What do you think unsuspecting passengers doing right now?" <laughs> it's basically, whoever whoever has to sit next to him oh, on the plane. <laughs> so. Oh no! <laughs> All right, well, Tyler, you ruined the uh, going out on a movie. Uh, I'm sorry. What, what? Anything else that you can? Uh, another movie you love? Crumb. Crumb. Oh yeah, oh, that one is great. It is hard for me to watch. Well, yeah. I, I mean, like. I, I, I the end of it, yeah. It just it's just so like I, I don't know that I want to spend that much time <laughs> in that world again. Like I think I, I see the uh, American the movie. How about that? Oh yeah, you that's a good one. That. Yeah, yeah. So you're a big and fan Anvil. of documentaries. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. I love documentaries. I, I Anvil, Anvil and American home, movie. And waiting for Guffman. I view those movies as a trio. And Topsy Turvy, which I loved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. But I'm a theater, you know, I'm yeah, a theater guy, so I like that stuff. But. Anvil, American movie, and Waiting for Guffman. 
Have you? I seen think they're absolutely beautiful, triumphant <laughs> movies of the human spirit, unalloyed. You know, I just think they're uh, those three movies. I think about as as a trio. Have you seen the King of Kong? Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Love <laughs> that great. movie. I still haven't seen it. All right, uh, on that note, gotta see that uh, King of Kong. Let's right. let's let's wrap up. Um, as always, you can find us at battleshippretention dot com. Uh, check the website for you know re- reviews and and, and features. Uh, this week we'll have reviews of David Cronenberg's A Dangerous Method and uh, is it James Bobbins uh, the, the Muppets? Is that the, is it James? I think it's James. Yes. Uh, so reviews of both of those and maybe some other stuff and, uh, and of course, Patty Considine's uh, Tyrannosaur, Tyrannosaur. That's, up, that's up now yeah um, uh, you know and uh, Blu-ray Blu-ray reviews of some great new Criterion stuff the Three mm-hmm. Colors trilogy Rules of the Game Identification of a Woman which isn't that great but uh, uh, they can't all be winners David uh, 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 yeah as always uh, I know I, I do this the past few weeks I, I really and plugging the website. I want people to go there for reviews. And, and the reviews will be, are easier to find now. Uh, mm-hmm. it's a, we made a slight change to the top bar of the website that makes it easier to find all all our theatrical and home video reviews going back uh, since we redid the website. So once again, uh, sorry I do this every week, but please go to battleshipretention.com and check it out. Uh, other than that, you can, as always, listen to and subscribe to the show on iTunes. You can email us, david at battleshipretention.com, tyler at battleshipretention.com. I'm on Twitter at twitter.com slash thepretension. Tyler's on Twitter at twitter.com slash morelessons, which is the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at morethanonelesson.com or on iTunes. And my, my other podcast is the weekly television review show Previously On, which you can find at previouslyon.com or in iTunes. So, Robert, where can people find you and your work on the Internet? Uh, just find me on Facebook, Robert Buscemi, uh, and uh, friend me there. And I've got a website, robertbuscemi.com, B-U-S-C-E-M-I, no H. Uh, and i got all kinds of links there. i got a lot of little movies that i made, a lot of stand-up clips that I link to. The site's pretty navigable. And uh, that's that. They can find my – I have a CD that I have that they can link to from there and get if they want to and – uh, my schedule's there, but if you find me on Facebook, you know I'm always tweeting and always I'm very obnoxious and uh, loud on Facebook, and you know I have a jolly old time. You got to stop anybody in all caps. I think that's the problem. You're just uh, <laughs> I'm you? joking, of yeah. course. It's fine. I do it once in a while. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, uh, anybody who is looking uh, for Robert Buscemi clips, uh, there's something that you did a few years ago. Uh, it's, I found it on your YouTube channel as I was preparing for, for this. Uh, it is a monologue poem of sorts called Angelina. Yeah, boy. And it is uh, <laughs> wonderful. Thank and you. I really enjoyed it. Thank and I you. recommend anybody go to YouTube, go to Robert Bashemi Angelina. I'm sure it'll pop right up. That's right. Give it a watch. It's lots of fun. That's kind. Thank you. Well, uh, thank you, uh, Robert, so much for being here. Yeah, great time, man. I, I loved it. It was great. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.